It's my great pleasure and honor to introduce to you a young fellow I've actually known since 1991. He graduated from the Naturopathic College, uh, John Bastier University up in Seattle, Washington in 1991. And he's been working all over the place in New England, and he's from New England originally, so his accent will be very familiar to you Bostonians that are here. And a very sharp young fellow. Uh, very passionate about health. And so we got to talking, and he's a very quick study. And uh, I'm going to let him kind of tell you the story. But uh, one of my good friends, like I say, I've known him since 1991, and uh, we've become closer and closer as he's putting on more standing room only meetings. Uh, help me give a warm welcome to Dr. Peter Glidden. Come on up. Hua! Thanks, Doc. How the heck are you? It is just fantastic to be here in San Diego. Let me tell you something, Chicago's too cold for me. <laughs> Originally from Nantucket Island. Hello to my Boston buddies. Let's go Red Sox. <laughs> Thanks so much for letting me be here. I'm very excited to be here this morning. Uh, like Doc said, I'm a naturopathic physician, been licensed since 1991, been in the trenches doing primary care naturopathic medicine for over two decades now, and been a longevity member, I think, I don't know, seven, eight, nine months. Uh, we are dedicated to changing health care in the United States. And the intention of my lecture here today to you is, you know, I have a unique perspective on longevity and what's going on in the United States as far as health is concerned because I'm a naturopathic physician, just like Doc. I'm actually the first naturopathic physician to really get what Dr. Wallach has done, what longevity is about, and what the projected goals are. I really get it. And... My job here today, or my intention here today, is to help everybody kind of take a step back and put what we're doing in perspective, because perspective is very, very eye-opening and very rewarding, and sometimes, you know, you can be in the thick of things for so long that maybe you forget what the heck you were doing it for in the first place or what's going on. So my intention here is to take a little step back and help to show you things from my point of view, uh, because we are on a mission to change the way that healthcare is practiced in the United States. Are you with me? Yes. What we're talking about is perspective. It's going to be the underlying theme of everything that, that I'm discussing right now. So let's go back to the basics. Medical industry propaganda. What we've been sold culturally... Every culture has something called an already always listening. It's a cultural condition. It's a set of rules and regulations that we've kind of adopted unconsciously. You know, in Christopher Columbus's day, the prevailing paradigm was that the earth was flat. Everybody believed that the earth was flat. Nobody really even talked about it. It was just considered a given. In the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s in this country, African Americans, black people were considered animals. That's how slavery was justified. These aren't people, they're animals. And that was just considered as it was accepted. After that, it was women aren't smart enough to vote. After that, it was, well, you know, child, child labor, that's okay. You can put little kids to work and there's no problem with that. There are cultural paradigms that exist in every culture, in every age, 
It's just a part of the deal. One of the cultural paradigms that we are suffering egregiously from today in the modern American culture is the false belief that medical doctors are king. This is sold to us. Medicine is sold to us and has been sold to us for the last hundred years. As medical doctors, bless their hearts, I've got tons of friends who are medical doctors, and there's a room in the world for medical doctors. But their industry has been sold to us as the only medical industry. And as a matter of fact, everything else, naturopathic, chiropractic, osteopathic, Ayurvedic, traditional Chinese medicine, etc., 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 is alternative to it. This is, in fact, where the term alternative came from. I don't practice alternative medicine. It's not alternative to my patients, but from a greater cultural perspective, it is, in fact, alternative. But it's only alternative because these guys have owned the ranch for a 100 years. In a perfect world, there would be equal distribution and equal access to all types of medicine. What medical doctors practice is one piece of the pie. It's been sold to us for the last hundred years as the whole pie. And everything else is alternative or inferior to it. In a perfect world, there would be equal access to chiropractic and naturopathic and Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese medicine and prescription medicine. And equal allocation of research money, but there is not. These people have owned the farm. The medical doctors have owned the farm for the last hundred years, and we suffer culturally, personally, professionally, and financially because of it. So let's put it in perspective. Now, it all started with the Declaration of Independence. Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, was a medical doctor. Unless we put medical freedom into the Constitution, the time will come when medicine will organize itself into a dictatorship. To restrict the art of healing to one class of men, i.e. medical doctors, bless their heart, and deny equal privilege to others will constitute the bastille of medical science. And this is exactly what's happened. This, they tried to write medical freedom into the, you know, the Bill of Rights, right? Didn't happen. So now, because of money and political affiliations and uh, propaganda that we're going to talk about, the medical doctors, the MD piece of the pie, has risen to the top, And now we just all culturally accept the fact that they're the king. And we don't even really second-guess it unless, of course, you're a longevity distributor. Now, let's take one step back and take a larger look at this phenomenon. Now, medical doctors practice allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine is based on the two Greek words, allos and pathos, Allos meaning opposite to pathos disease. It's a reductionistic philosophy. It views the body as a machine made of parts. And when the body is sick, it has to be taken apart into its smallest piece and a different medicine given for each piece. And the medicines that are delivered oppose the disease process. Now, this is in direct distinction to holistic medicine, naturopathic medicine, the doc and I practice. It's from the term naturo, which means nature and pathos disease. It's a holistic methodology. Medicines support the body's ability to fix itself. The body is a complex system of interacting, interrelated parts, and the medicines are delivered to the entire system. 
This is a very important thing to understand, and this is similar to, you know, the way that a Buddhist looks at the world as opposed to the way that a born-again Christian looks at the world, or the difference between the way that a Republican looks at the world and a Democrat looks at the world, right? We're all looking at the same world, but the way that we interpret it is based on our particular philosophical lens. The philosophical lens that medical doctors, bless their hearts, look at the world through is a reductionistic lens. It sees the body as a machine made of parts. And every time you're sick, you go to the doctor, he gives you a medicine for that part. So you end up with one medicine for your arthritis, one medicine for your asthma, one medicine for your heartburn, one medicine for your blood pressure, one medicine for your insomnia, one medicine for your anxiety, and one medicine to take care of the side effects of all those medicines. (laughs) And we've just come to accept this as the way that it is because nobody's ever lined it up to us like this before. Now, holistic doctors, on the other hand, are taught that the philosophical orientation that we bring to bear is that the body is a system, a complex system of interrelated parts, and that the body has an inherent, built-in, natural ability to fix itself. This is a fundamentally key distinction which separates a holistic methodology from a reductionistic methodology. Medical doctors, bless their hearts, do not believe that the body can fix itself. They do not believe that the body can fix itself because from their way of thinking, son of a gun, if the body could fix itself, it wouldn't have gotten sick in the first place because they look at the world through a reductionistic lens. Medical doctors are also taught that when the the piece is broken, you are to deliver a medicine to that piece which opposes the illness. This is, in fact, how the medicines got their name. Antibiotics, anti-inflammatory, antacids, anti-this, anti-that, inhibitors, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. The medicines that are delivered are delivered to suppress the symptom, not to fix anything or to cure anything, but to suppress the symptom Because the reductionist thinks the body can't fix itself. And everything's separated from everything else. It's a crazy view which is really antiquated and it's a function really of 17th century Newtonian physics which is extremely outdated right now. However, it does have some good things. It's also related to disease management. Nothing ever gets cured in an allopathic, reductionistic, MD-directed pharmaceutical medical doctor's office. Very rarely does anything get cured. You never cure asthma. You never cure depression. You never cure blood pressure. You never cure hypertension. You never cure type 2 diabetes. You never cure a darn thing. You manage it. So you feel a little bit better as long as you take your antidepressant, and then you commit suicide because that's a major side effect of antidepressants if you're a teenager. Your arthritic pain is kept at bay by the Vioxx that you take until it kills you. Right now there are 20,000 lawsuits pending against people that have died from taking Vioxx, which was an FDA-approved drug. Nothing's ever fixed in a reductionistic allopathic medical practice. They manage things. Now, who benefits from a model like this? The people that make the medicines, the hospitals that deliver the treatments, and the doctors that give an okay to it all. 
It's one giant happy family. It's like a snake eating itself. Now, reductionistic medicine is fantastic for certain things. Now, let's think about it. What would reductionistic medicine be best for? Well, it would be best for conditions which affect the part. So, if I have a bullet in my arm, if I've fallen through a plate glass window, if I've gone through the windshield of my car because some drunk driver sideswiped me, the things they can do with reductionistic medicine are awesome. Right now, if you're wounded on the battlefield in Iraq, you have an 85% chance of living. If you were wounded in Vietnam, it was 15 The things we can do with surgery now are just this side of miraculous. Why? Because this is the forte of reductionism. I got a bullet in my arm. Well, let's take it out. It doesn't get more reductionistic than that. And this is where this type of medicine excels when the surgery is necessary. Now, we can have a whole other conversation about when surgery isn't necessary. And there are people in this room that will give testimony to that. But sometimes you need it. And when you do need it, do not go to a naturopath's office. All right, trauma, infectious disease, if you, you know, go visit the temples in Cambodia and you come back with some nasty little parasite that's chewing your intestinal tract up, they've got stuff that'll kill that also, which is great. Right? This is the forte of allopathic reductionistic medical treatment. Okay. However... MD-directed allopathic reductionistic treatment is sold to us as the only valid treatment for everything. For everything. It's a package deal. Everything else is alternative or read inferior to it. Now, this leads to something I refer to as the American paradox. Of the 31 industrialized nations in the entire world, the average cost of health care per person, if you average it out across all the countries is $2,759 per person per year. In the United States, we spend $6,400 per person, and we rank second from the bottom. We spend two and a half times that much as everybody else in the world, and we rank second from the bottom in the ability of our healthcare system to make people well. Second from the bottom, the United States of America. Here's the chart. This is World Health Organization data. This is the average of what other countries spend. This is what we spend. These are countries like Belgium, France, Canada, Germany, Denmark, Japan, New Zealand, Finland, Spain. These are the industrialized countries. It gets worse. In all the world, that was just the industrialized countries. If we look at all the countries in the world, the United States in the year 2000, according to the data, the United States was 72nd in the world. 72nd in the world, right above New Guinea, in the ability of our healthcare system to make people well. In 1980, we were 14th. So in 20 years, between 1980 and 2000, we went from 14th to 72nd. This is the wrong direction. So we're second from the bottom of the industrialized countries, and we've fallen 58 places in 20 years in the entire rest of the world. Are you with me? This is the wrong direction. I like to call it death by medicine. And yet, if you ask most Americans on the street, which country in the world has the best health care system? Well, the United States does. Because we've been culturally conditioned for 100 years to believe that MD medicine is king. And it's the biggest snow job ever perpetrated on the American public. And we're going to find out why next. 
Correctly prescribed medications, prescription medications, are currently the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. This means you're sick, you go to your doctor, he gives you a medicine, and it kills you. It's the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. This came from the Journal of the American Medical Association, 1988. It was the fifth leading cause of death in the United States, and it ain't gotten any better. We have been culturally conditioned to believe that MD-directed pharmaceutical allopathic medicine is the king, and it's the pauper. Our health is negatively affected by it every moment of every day, and we all need to collectively wake up. It's unbelievable what we've been accustomed to. This is one of the reasons why phenomena like this can persist. There's a psychological mechanism in the brain that makes us just want to believe what everybody else believes. It's called perceptual blindness. Now, so this type of perceptual blindness has led to this phenomenon. This is what the state of medical care is like in the United States. And let me tell you something. The debate that's going on right now in Congress and in the Senate and at and the Capitol has got nothing to do with health care. It is not about health care. It is about insurance. It's about who's going to pay for it. The only choices that we get are medical doctor A or medical doctor B. You don't have a choice to see a chiropractor or a naturopath or an acupuncturist or an herbalist or a traditional Chinese medical doctor, an Ayurvedic doctor. It's medical doctor A or medical doctor B because, remember, they own everything. Everything else is alternative to it, right? Wrong. That's what we've been sold, but that is not the way that it is. This is the way that it is, and it's a problem. Now, how did this happen? It all started with Abraham Flexner. 1910, he wrote a very influential report called the Flexner Report. He went around the United States, you know, and it took him a long time to do this. There were stagecoaches and trains, no cars, only telegraphs. He went all around the United States and he did an inventory of medical schools and brought back a list of who he considered the medical schools that were the true centers of medical research, i.e., the allopath. Now, early 20th century in the United States, it was a more of an equal playing field with different types of medical professionals. You had the chiropractors, you had the osteopaths, you had the homeopaths, you had the naturopaths, and you had the allopaths, right? And they were all competing for patients. He brought the list back to the Rockefeller Foundation. And after the Flexner Report, the Rockefeller Foundation gave vast sums of money to the medical schools that taught prescription medicine. All right? So now listen, and this was big money back then. This was the turning point in the evolution of medicine in the United States. This is the main reason why MD-directed allopathic reductionistic medicine is the top dog now, and everybody else is subservient to it. It's got nothing to do with medical efficacy. It's got nothing to do with cost-effectiveness of treatment. It has everything to do with political and financial affiliations that were built at the turn of the century that most people have no idea of. As an example, in the early 1900s, there were 22 homeopathic medical schools, just as an example. You know, we're not talking about the chiropractors or the osteopaths, just the homeopaths now. A hundred homeopathic hospitals and a thousand homeopathic pharmacies, and the medical schools were in places like BU, Stanford, New York Medical College. I mean, this was all top-notch stuff, right? 
22 homeopathic medical schools in the early 1900s. By 1920, which was 10 years after the Flexner Report, the last pure homeopathic medical school closed. Why? Because everybody followed the money. If you're starting a business and I'm starting a business and you get a million dollars of free money and I don't, who's going to have a better business? You are. So after 1910 in the United States, if you wanted to practice medicine, are you going to go to the poor homeopaths or the poor naturopaths or the poor chiropractors? Are you going to go to the big institutions that have all the money? That's where you're going to go. And that's how this whole thing started, and that's why we're in the predicament that we're in today. And very few people understand this or have any appreciation for it. Number two, if you're going to be the top dog, uh, in addition to getting all the money, you want to slander the competition, right? The AMA found guilty of slander. Most people don't know this. In 1984, a very famous case, Wilkes versus the AMA. The federal court found the American Medical Association guilty of a 10-year slander campaign against the chiropractors. And they were ordered to pay 25 million bucks, which is peanuts. So for 10 years, the AMA, the AMA, the AMA was going around saying, hey, if you let chiropractors into your state, they're going to sleep with your daughters, sleep with your dogs, and they're going to kill you. And it's going to be bad. They're quacks. For 10 years, slandered the competition. It gets worse. We're going to slander against them, and then we're going to legislate against them also. There's a branch headed by the AMA. It's uh, run by an anesthesiologist in Florida. The department's job description is to make it difficult, if not impossible, for naturopaths to get licensed. We've been trying to get licensed in Massachusetts for 18 years. Have not been able to do it. As a naturopathic doctor in Washington State and uh, 14 other states in the United States, I can deliver babies, perform minor surgery, prescribe drugs, order any diagnostic test I want, call myself a physician, work in hospitals, and it's all covered by insurance. Pretty great. If I was to do exactly the same thing in Illinois, where I now live, or Massachusetts, I'd be fined $5,000 and sent to jail for two years. Now, how is this possible? All I did was cross the state line. I did four years pre-med, four years naturopathic medical school, 1,000 hours of clinical supervision, pass national boards, pass state boards, and do 25 hours of continuing education credit every year. I can run circles around any medical doctor in this country when it comes to physiology, anatomy, and clinical nutrition. And yet, I'm only allowed to practice medicine in 15 states in the United States. Why? Because the AMA goes around the country telling people, whoa, if you let nature pass into your state, they're going to sleep with your daughters, sleep with your pets, and they're going to kill you. It's an aggressive campaign against everybody else. This is how they do it. I'm not making this stuff up. I couldn't make this stuff up. It's too crazy. Number four, it gets worse. If I want to dominate the practice of medicine and culturally inoculate people to believe that my medicine is the king, I fix the facts in my behalf. How do I do that? Richard Smith, 25-year editor of the British Medical Journal, when he retired, he was quoted as saying, medical journals are just an extension of the marketing departments of major drug companies. This was the editor of the journal. Well, maybe it's just one guy and he had an axe to grind, right? Richard Horton, editor of The Lancet, which is one of the most prestigious medical journals in the world, 
When he retired, journals, medical journals, have devolved into information laundering operations for the pharmaceutical industry. You want some examples? Fasten your seatbelts. Cancer. This is the worst slide. This is the saddest slide I've got. I can barely read this without crying. The Journal of Clinical Oncology, Volume 16, Issue 8, December 2004. It was called The Contribution of Chemotherapy to Five-Year Survivals. This study was uh, done to see how effective chemotherapy was for cancer that you got if you were an adult. Okay? It was based on data from randomized controlled trials published over a 14-year period. So they looked at all these treatments for chemotherapy for all these people that had gotten cancer for 14 years. And this was their conclusion, published in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. This is not some backwater naturopathic journal. Preeminent cancer journal in the United States. Fasten your seatbelts. 97% of all chemotherapy... For adult-onset cancer is ineffective. There's a 3% error ratio, (laughs) which means the chemotherapy is 100% ineffective at making people well. 100% ineffective for making people well. And yet, it persists. Cancer Treatment Centers of America, perhaps the most pernicious organization on the face of the planet, they have the audacity to hire naturopathic doctors to work there, and then they advertise themselves that, oh, if you come to Cancer Treatment Centers of America, you will have the best holistic medicine there is. But they don't use naturopathic medicine to treat cancer. They use naturopathic medicine to clean up the side effects of chemo, radiation, and surgery. So if you have radiation or chemo or surgery and you get bad nausea or you get a very bad uh, skin condition or you get very bad diarrhea or you can't swallow anything... They use naturopathic therapies to help ease the burden. Now, that's, you know, better to do that than not to do that, but they're not using naturopathic medicine to treat cancer. And 97% of their treatments are ineffective. However, it costs approximately 45 grand for one chemo treatment. Most people need five. If you just have 200 patients a month, most people have 10 times this. It's $45 million a month in profit. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Chemotherapeutic drugs are the only classification of prescription medicine that the oncologist or the doctor that prescribes it gets a cut of. So if I'm Cancer Treatment Centers of America or any other cancer treatment place in the United States and I buy cisplatin for $500 from Canada, I sell it to the the patient for $5,000, their insurance pays me $4,000, and the doctor gets a percentage of that for every single solitary prescription that he writes. And this is why it persists. Now listen, if Ford or uh, Chevy made an automobile which blew up 97% of the time, it was driven off the lot, how long would they be in business? They wouldn't be. We wouldn't put up with this in any other business, but we put up with this Because it's the gorilla in the room that nobody sees. We all need to collectively snap out of it. But it gets worse. Cholesterol. There have been no studies published anywhere that show any relationship between heart disease and cholesterol, period. 
Let me say that again. There have been no studies published anywhere that show any relationship between high cholesterol and heart disease. They, it does not exist. As a matter of fact, just the opposite does. A study done at the University Hospital Toronto showed that men with high cholesterol or low cholesterol were equally likely to have a second heart attack. More than 20 studies have shown that the degree of how clogged your arteries are has got nothing to do with your diet. A Canadian study followed 5,000 men for 12 years and could not find a link between high cholesterol and heart attacks. 5,000 men for 12 years could not find a link between high cholesterol and heart attacks. In Honolulu, they looked at 8,000 people and said, you can't read the slide here, the long-term persistence of low cholesterol actually increases your chance of death actually increases your chance of death. Actually increases your chance of death. Follow the money. How can this be happening? In 2004, 36 million statin prescriptions, which gave Lipitor, Pfizer, 13 billion, that's billion with a B. 13 billion, 600 million dollars in profit, and that's why they do it. So they generated an illness, which is fictional, and they came up with a drug for it, which is real, and they make $13 billion a year selling it to us. It's the gorilla in the room that nobody's looking at. Now, cholesterol is so important to the body that your liver makes six times as much as you can get from your food. 85% of your brain by weight is cholesterol. 85% of your brain by weight is cholesterol. All your sex hormones are made from cholesterol. All the estrogens, progesterone, dihydroepiandosterone, cortisol, it's all made from cholesterol. So, if we're driving cholesterol into the gutter with statin drugs, as the cholesterol levels lower, the brain dries up, Alzheimer's disease has gone from the, fifth, the sixth to the fifth most prominent illness in the country right now, and erectile dysfunction all of a sudden is a big deal. Why? Because you need cholesterol to make testosterone. If you don't have any testosterone, you can't get an erection. And also, you know, your grandmother, when she went through menopause, she had two or three months of hot flushes and mood swings, and that was it. Most women in this country, it's three, four years of horror. Now, why? Because you don't have enough cholesterol. This is exactly the same reason why uh, anorexic teenage girls stop getting their periods, because they have no body fat. They have no body fat, they have no cholesterol, they have no cholesterol, they can't make estrogen or progesterone, they can't get a period. Because cholesterol is vitally important to the health of the body. As a matter of fact, and this is on Longevity's website, by the way, there was a study published about a year ago, it showed that the higher the level of butyric acid in the blood, the less your Alzheimer's symptoms are. You know what butyric acid comes from? Butter! We've been fed a bill of goods from medical doctors that have absolutely no appreciation and no training in clinical nutrition. And we've taken it hook, line, and sinker. It gets worse. If I want to dominate, completely dominate the culture of medicine in the United States, in addition to doing everything we've just done, we also do direct-to-consumer ads. Direct-to-consumer ads increased drug sale profits in 2008 by $30 million. This is the nonsense that you see on TV every night, right? Why are they advertising prescription drugs? Well, so you can tell your doctor what you need. Well, too bad they wasted all that money on medical school. Right? 
But we've come to kind of accept this. Oh, you know, you see it so many times and you don't even think about it anymore. But it works to the tune of $30 million a year. It gets worse. Feel comforted? I trust my own heart to Lipitor. This is Robert Jarvik, the guy that invented the artificial heart. He trusts his own heart to Lipitor, even though there's no study published anywhere that shows any relationship between cholesterol and heart disease. This man should be sent to jail for fraud. He's a medical doctor. He has standing in the community. It's his job to provide us with accurate information that we can use to help ourselves get better. And he's either been lied to or he's stupid and doesn't know any better. And there ought to be a law. It gets worse. Vioxx. Dorothy Hamill. Oh, yeah, you know, my knees are so bad because I haven't taken calcium in 20 years and I drink diet pop between my sessions. But I'm going to take Vioxx. Federally approved drug, $60 million of federally funded research went into that baby and it killed 20,000 people. Now it's taken off the market. Now listen, if one naturopathic doctor or one chiropractor was to kill one patient with an herb, what do you think would happen? Yeah, it'd be all over the morning news, they'd be pilloried in the town square and it would be bad. But these people get away with murder every day. And we just go about our business. It's the gorilla in the room that nobody's looking at. It gets worse. So another thing that we can do is we can secure all the medical research money. Now, when the Hoosiers do a run to outrun cancer, and when Ralph does a kick in the cancer 5K walk for run for cancer, and this is the other Hoosier thing. Oh, it's the 10th one. They've done this 10 times now. 10 years in a row. Where does the money go? Does the money go to naturopathic cancer research? Does the money go to homeopathic cancer research? Does the money go to clinical nutrition cancer research? No! The money goes to MD-directed pharmaceutical allopathic cancer research that's 97% ineffective! What are we doing? We need to snap out of it. I'm going to get a biplane with a big banner on it. And I'm going to fly it over all these 5K runs. You're throwing money into a dead hole you've been lied to. And then I'd go to jail. It gets worse. One more thing that I can do if I want to dominate the culture of medicine in the United States is not only am I going to advertise to the unassuming public, I'm going to advertise directly to medical doctors. Last year, drug companies spent $20 billion marketing directly to doctors. That's $50,000 per doctor. This means the drug rep shows up at the doctor's office and gives him all these free samples, gives him all this free literature, gives him all this free support, lunch. And then if they sell 1,000 prescriptions, he sends them to Cancun, right? To the tune of $50,000 a year. The medical doctors, they're too busy. They just believe that these guys are telling them the truth even though the editors of the medical journals have said that they're lying. But nobody can really wrap their head really around that idea, even though it's the true. Oh, what do you mean the earth is round? You've got to be crazy. The earth is flat, for goodness sake. This is how this persists. Oh, it gets worse. If I'm a medical doctor, I have to practice inside of a scope of practice. The scope of practice is a set of rules and regulations that I have to follow. Guess who writes the rules and regulations? Medical doctors that are financially linked to drug companies. 
it gets worse. More than half of the medical experts hired by the FDA to advise them on the safety of medical treatments have financial relationships with drug companies. They've cooked the books. They've completely dominated. This is like a military operation. They have completely dominated every facet of the culture as it relates to medicine. They've even dominated the medical doctors themselves, and they don't know it, which is a tragedy. Let's review. The MD profession has dominated the medical industry for the last hundred years. They've done this with money, power, slander, and deception. They're 100% aligned with for-profit drug companies. They practice disease management, not health care. This is a pet peeve of mine. There is no medical doctor in the world that practices health care nor wellness. When you see a big sign on your hospital, wellness center, or Dr. Smith practices wellness, baloney. Medical doctors are not trained in how to make people healthy. They're trained in how to suppress symptoms and manage illness, period. And they have no training nor clinical experience with anything but drug treatments. And the medicine is profit-driven, not results-driven. If the medicine was results-driven, chemotherapy would have been ended 10 years ago. It wouldn't be practiced again because it doesn't work. The only reason it persists is because it makes gazillions of dollars every year for the industry. That's the only reason it persists. It's not a results-driven medical treatment. It's a profits-driven. It's the gorilla in the room that nobody sees. Now, what results have 100 years of MD-centered allopathic reductionistic medicine given us? Well... Overweight and obesity is rising. The predictions are in 10 years, this will be the number one health problem in the United States, and it's completely driven by mineral deficiencies. Obesity is a mineral deficiency disease. It is a deficiency disease. It is not a disease of excess. Type 2 diabetes. Look at this. 1981, 2004. It's gone up 10 times. Type 2 diabetes. This is criminal. By the way, type 2 diabetes is a vanadium and a chromium deficiency disease. We can eliminate the symptoms of type 2 diabetes and promote healthy function of the human body in three months. All it takes is three months to see people with type 2 diabetes have the condition resolved. Life expectancy. In a perfect world, the human body has the capacity to live to be 120 to 140 years old. We don't even get nearly close to that because our medical doctors are clueless about how to make people healthy. And this is what Dr. Wallach's book, Immortality, is all about. If you've never read the book, Immortality, don't leave here today without getting a copy. It's a very, very important piece of work, especially if you're in the longevity business. It gets worse. Kidney transplant. So this is 1988, 1996, 2006, right? So it's getting worse, 20,000 people now waiting for kidney transplants as opposed to 5,000 12 years ago. Adults 18 over with antidepressants, it gets worse. The, again, the lower on the graph we go, the, the greater in time it is. This was 1988, and this is 2002. Look at this. This is horrible. Antidepressant use is quadrupled in 10 years. And the major side effect of antidepressant use Suicide. And I saw an advertisement for Cymbalta last night on TV. This is how crazy it is, right? On the ad, it says 75% of people 
being treated for depression are still depressed. <laughs> Try Cymbalta, right? What does this mean? It means it doesn't work. And if 75% of the people taking an antidepressant are still depressed, that means it doesn't work. Oh, but let's try another one. Let's get into that car that just blew up. Oh, maybe this time. We've been brainwashed. We don't even bat an eyelash. We don't even think twice about it. It's nuts, but it gets worse. Now, the biggest reason for the American paradox, this is Dr. Glidden's conclusion, Why? how can all this be true? We spend twice as much as every other country we're 72nd on the list, second from the bottom. All these chronic illnesses get worse. Well, how can all this be possible in the richest, most prosperous, freest country in the world? Well, let's ask Sherlock Holmes. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. The reason for the American paradox is... Allopathic MD-directed prescription drug treatment for chronic disease does not work, period. It does not work. It works great for surgery when surgery is necessary. It works great for trauma, but that's it. For most conditions that most people go to the doctor for, most of the time it kills them, makes them worse, does not deliver results. After the age of 55 in the United States, the average American is diagnosed with a new illness every three years. Because prescription medicine doesn't fix anything, it manages things, period. And we suffer from it. Well, what are we to do? What are we going to do? March like lemmings to our collective deaths over the hill? No. If the system doesn't work, abandon the system and adopt and support a system that does work. Hey, does anybody know a system that works? This is what we do. This is what Doc Wallach has been doing for 20 years, but I doubt very many people in this room are more than that. 35 years, have know this. Nobody's really put this in perspective, I don't think, the way that you know, a naturopathic doctor would. Everything that longevity does is based upon these concepts. You find the cause and you treat it. So if my high blood pressure is caused by lack of calcium, you just take the calcium, for goodness sake. You stimulate the body's ability to fix itself. You give the body what it needs and you remove the bad stuff that's gumming up the works. This is not rocket science. But it is unique in the cultural world that we've grown up in because we're like the people on Christopher Columbus's boat saying, Hey, everybody, guess what? The earth is round! <laughs> so let me just regroup. I've been uh, a licensed naturopathic doctor for 21 years. Uh, Bad naturopathic medicine is better than what MDs do. And Dr. Wallach's research protocols and supplements are ten times better than anything that naturopathic doctors have. I've been in the trenches treating people with primary care medicine as a naturopathic physician for over two decades. And I've used every supplement company. I've used every therapy. I used to be a vitamin rep for a company. 
because their quality control was so great. I've been around the block with naturopathic medicine. And Dr. Wallach's protocols and treatments far surpass anything that the naturopathic medical community has to offer. This is a very important thing to understand. You folks have access to the best nutritional strategy, the best nutritional products in the world right now. Now, you know, there's a lot of companies that will say that, but there are no companies that have the clinical experience with actual licensed physicians to be able to validate this and say that it's true. I'm here to testify that it is. Now, some things Dr. Wallach has done, many of you may not know. Uh, he's sued the FDA eight times at one, seven and a half. Uh, it's because of Dr. Wallach's lawsuits that we can say, and any vitamin company can say, that essential fatty acids will reduce your risk of stroke. It's because of Dr. Wallach's lawsuit. Also, because of Dr. Wallach's lawsuits, we can say that 200 micrograms of selenium will reduce the occurrence of the following cancers. And reducing the occurrence of the following cancers is a huge thing. This is a huge, huge thing. Here's what we can say, and why hasn't your medical doctor told you this? If you take 200 micrograms a day of selenium, which is cheaper than dirt, you'll reduce your chance of breast cancer by 82%, prostate cancer 69%, Colorectal cancer, 64%, and lung cancer, 39%, even if you're a smoker. Every child in the United States, from the very first day they go to their pediatrician, needs to be put on selenium, and we would dramatically reduce the occurrence of these types of cancer with one simple, inexpensive nutritional supplement. It's criminal. It is criminal that this information is not readily available and more widespread. And it's even criminal that most medical doctors will tell you, vitamin supplementation, all that'll do is give you expensive urine. There ought to be a law. Uh, by the way, the, this selenium stuff was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 1998 by Larry Clark, MD, PhD. Okay? Now, The Diseases of Exotic Animals was written by Dr. Wallach. A seminal piece of research, it's in the Smithsonian, took place from 71 to 83, the tune of 25 million bucks, which was big money back then. It was funded by the NIH, Washington University, Yerkes Primate Research Center, Center for the Biology of Natural Systems, and major zoos across the United States. This was the origin of all the stuff that we do with the Longevity product line. This is where it all came from. Dr. Wallach's research that resulted in the book, The Diseases of Exotic Animals. Now, in that research, they did 13,000 autopsies, 10 million blood chemistries and histopathologies, and they compared the health of zoo animals to their counterparts in the wild. The intention of the study was to look for the net negative effects of pollution. This was because at that time there was the Minamata disaster in Japan, where some knucklehead released millions of gallons of mercury into a river that went into Minamata Bay, there was an algae bloom at the same time. The algae sucked up all the mercury. The little minnows ate the algae. The bigger fish ate the minnows. The villagers ate the bigger fish. They all got mercury toxicity. And nine months later, all the kids that were born in Minamata, Japan, had unbelievable birth defects. And it was a big wake-up call for the international community. And so they said, hey, 
If mercury can do this, what can all these other things do? So let's figure it out. So they had a perfect experiment, and they chose Dr. Wallach because he was the only man in the world at that time who had experience in all of the fields that were necessary to pull this off. So they looked at the health of animals in the zoo in urban areas who were exposed to the same pollution that you and I are, and then they went into the wild and darted the animals, sedated them, and did tissue cultures from the animals in the wild, and they compared the results of the health of the animal in the wild to the health of the animal in the zoo. You with me? It was a fantastic experiment, really smart, really well thought out. And here are the results. Strap on your seatbelts. There was no net negative effect on the health of the animals from pollution. There was no net negative effect on the health of the animals from exposure to normal daily pollution, like carbon monoxide and all PCBs and fire retardant stuff and all this stuff that everybody's really afraid of right now, which is why we're all eating organic food. The thing that did make a difference to the health of these animals was if there was a massive exposure. If there was a massive exposure to a toxin, you know, if you lived downstream from Three Mile Island, well, that was a problem. But if it was just normal day-to-day exposure, there was no problem. They almost pulled the plug on the research. Because son of a gun, they, hey, it wasn't there, it was nothing there. However, there were, much to our benefit, unexpected results. And this is huge. And this is why we do what we do. There were huge net negative health impacts from inadequate nutrition in the animals. And it happened across species lines. The effect of not enough calcium, not enough zinc, not enough B1, not enough B12, not enough C, not enough manganese, not enough vanadium, not enough chromium, not enough of the mighty 90. If the animal was deficient in one of these or two of these or all of these, it got sick and it didn't matter if it was a bat, a boa constrictor, an elephant or a rhino. Nutritional deficiency caused chronic disease. And when you put the nutrition back, the disease went away. When you put the nutrition back, the disease went away. This was groundbreaking research and it completely changed the way that veterinarian medicine was practiced and livestock medicine and it changed a lot of things in the wonderful world of animal husbandry. And it was all because of Dr. Wallach. But now, Dr. Wallach thought to himself, well, son of a gun, if this happens across species lines in the animal kingdom, I bet you it works with humans. So he became a naturopath and started applying the same therapies that they use with animals with humans and got unbelievable results, which then they followed through for 30 years, and that's why we do what we do today. And this is why the Longevity products are more effective than any other nutritional product in the world. Because they are based and have their roots in this research and this clinical experience. This is major league clinical nutrition. Comparing what we do in Longevity to what any other doctor or any other vitamin company does is like comparing the major leagues to little league. There is no comparison. What we do is a hundred times better than anybody else, and, but don't believe me, just look and see the results that you get. Livers grow back. People come off dialysis. Asthma disappears. Knees grow back. Shoulders grow back. Type 2 diabetes 
Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, brain tumors, lymphoma, disappears. Why? Because the body needs nutrition. And when you give the body what it needs and get out of the way, the body fixes itself. These are the most important things that all of this resulted in. If you remember nothing else, remember the next few slides. The majority of chronic disease is caused or directly affected by inadequate nutrition, dietary stress, and is eliminated by therapeutic nutrition and proper diet. Therapeutic nutrition and proper diet is the cure to the healthcare crisis. It is the only thing that will do it because it is the only thing that has the potential to do it because it goes to the root cause of the illness. Nothing else does. Well, let's think this through. Let's say I have high blood pressure. High blood pressure often is caused by a calcium deficiency. So I have a calcium deficiency, and now I've got high blood pressure. So now I go on an MAO inhibitor. And I'm on an MAO inhibitor for five years, but I still have a calcium deficiency. So five years later, now I get osteoarthritis because that's also caused by a calcium deficiency. And I get Bell's palsy because that's also caused by a calcium deficiency. So now I have osteoarthritis and Bell's palsy, for which I'm giving two more drugs, pain medications, and I've still been on the MAO uptake inhibitor for five years. Two years later, I developed type 2 diabetes because that's a side effect of the MAO uptake inhibitor that I've been on for seven years now. And my liver starts to decay because of the negative effects of the pain medication. So now I'm put on four more medications, but remember, I still have a calcium deficiency. So now I get degenerative disc disease. I get all kinds of neurological conditions uh, from my waist down. I get surgery to replace the discs, and I die from the surgery. And this is the standard of medical care, the best medical care there is in the country, and it all could have been eliminated 15 years earlier if I just gave calcium. This is criminal behavior, and there ought to be a law. Let's take a look at it. High blood pressure. High blood pressure is caused by one of three things. It's either a calcium deficiency, you have clogged arteries in the kidneys, or you're way overweight. This is what an artery looks like. This is a muscle layer in the middle of the artery. This muscle needs calcium in order to contract and propagate uh, a contraction impulse along it. If you don't have calcium, this mechanism gets upset. The vessel loses its tone and your blood pressure spikes. Type 2 diabetes. Walter Mertz, 1957, there's Walter. He eliminated it in mice with chromium supplementation, eliminated it. Oh, but that was mice. His FGGG boy, he was an Indian medical doctor. He eliminated type 2 diabetes in coma patients by applying Mertz's treatments. He gave coma patients chromium and vanadium, and their type 2 diabetes went away, and they were in a coma. Medical doctors said it didn't work because it was placebo, right? Now, let's look at this. 90% of all Americans are deficient in chromium. This is the United States Department of Agriculture. Type 2 diabetes is caused by a chromium deficiency. If 90% of all Americans are deficient in chromium, this is why type 2 diabetes is on the rise. It's a simple nutritional deficiency disease. But... One diabetic patient treated for five years will profit an insulin-prescribing MD $47,000. And over the course of that patient's lifetime, approximately $376,000 from not curing the disease, from managing it, from not taking care of it. So that's why it persists. 
because medical doctors can make way more money from managing type 2 diabetes than they can from giving a nutritional supplement that will promote and stimulate the healthy function of the human body and potentially eliminate the illness. It's criminal. It is absolute criminal behavior that anyone in the United States has type 2 diabetes for more than three months. There ought to be a law, but it's big money. This is how diabetes works. Here's a human cell. This is the cell wall. This is the inside of the cell. This is where everything happens. Sugar has to get from the bloodstream inside the cell. It does that by insulin landing on receptors on the cell wall. And when insulin lands on the receptor on the cell wall, the inside of the receptor sends a signal to another receptor on the cell wall that accepts glucose, and it opens it up. It's like ringing the front door bell and the kitchen door opening to let, you know, the, the, all the supplies in, okay? If you don't have vanadium and chromium, this message can't get translated. So, or the insulin can't bind, one or the other. So you get insulin piling up and glucose piling up, all because this message can't get communicated to the cell that the kitchen door is locked. The only reason the kitchen door is locked is because you didn't have enough vanadium and you didn't have enough chromium, so that door don't open. It's not because you need more insulin, and that's what medical doctors do. They give more insulin, which piles up in the bloodstream and creates such a pressure that it kicks the door down, and a little bit of sugar goes in. The side effects that people get from type 2 diabetes or even primary diabetes are not because of the blood sugar, but because of the insulin. It's the insulin that causes your legs to fall off and your eyes to go blind. It's not the blood sugar, it's the treatment. Most important things, 91 essential nutrients, 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 3 essential fatty acids. If everybody in the world took these every day, in the course of, I don't know, 5, 10 years, chronic illness in the United States would be a thing of the past. It's impossible to get all 91 nutrients from your food. You cannot do it. I cannot go outside and throw a tennis ball to the moon. Nor can I get all the nutrients that my body needs from my food. Why can't I do that? Because the minerals, which are 60 of the 90, only occur in the soil. Animals can't make them. Plants can't make them. We can only suck them up out of the soil. If they're not in the soil, they're not in the lettuce. If they're not in the lettuce, they're not in the body. They're not in the soil. They're, like Doc says, they're in veins, like the ripples in chocolate ripple ice cream, right? Here it is. So here is, I got some zinc up here, but I got none here. I got some vanadium here, but I got none here. I got some calcium here, but I got none here. This is how it is. So if I was to do, you know, uh, an, a bird's eye view of the cornfield, this part of the cornfield might have 12 minerals, this might have 10, this might have 4, this might have 20, this might have 30, who knew? You can eat a perfectly yummy tasting piece of organically grown corn harvested by Trappist monks under the full moon while they're chanting. <laughs> and you could be 51 minerals deficient because the plant only needs 9 minerals to grow. If it ain't in the soil, it ain't in the plant. If it ain't in the plant, it ain't in the body, it ain't in the soil. You need to supplement. If you understand that you need a mineral, well, you can do one of two things. You can dig them up, find somewhere in the earth that they are. You can dig them up, purify them, and swallow them. These are called metallic minerals, and they're 10 to 60% absorbable. This is what most vitamin supplements are. Or you can plant plants on the soil where the minerals are. The plants suck the minerals out of the ground metabolize the mineral, and as they digest it and metabolize it, they turn it into a colloid. 
A colloidal mineral is 100% absorbable. Now, which is better, 100% or 10%? That's why the Longevity 100% organic plant-derived colloidal minerals are the best mineral supplements on the face of the planet because they're colloidal. This is the fundamental key to the whole Longevity thing is the mineral aspect of the vitamin supplements. There are 60 of the 90 things that the body needs. Everybody that you see walking around is minerally deficient. Everybody needs to take minerals. If you're having trouble with your longevity business, just give everybody a bottle of minerals to begin with. Within 14 days, they will feel better. They have to because everybody's minerally deficient, and now we're filling the tank up. It's a game changer. And then you call them up 14 days later and follow up. Hey, Charlie, how do you feel? Well, you know, I feel pretty good. Well, son of a gun, you want to do some more? And now your foot's in the door and you've got a customer for life. Fried food, bottled oil, well-done meat, nitrates in meat, superheated carbos. These are all bad foods and should be avoided. Bottled oil contains free radicals. Oil oxidizes. And as the oil oxidizes, it becomes loaded with more and more free radicals. And then we drink the oil, we pour free radicals into the body, and they hurt us. When you superheat the oil... It oxidizes almost immediately. If everybody in this room just eliminated fried food today, no minerals, no supplements, no exercise, no nothing, just stopped eating fried food, you would add 15 years to your life. 15 years to your life just by stopping eating fried food. Now look at the good food. This is what I love to talk about. Butter. Yeah. Woohoo! Salt. Woohoo! Lard. Your grandmother was right. Those lard sandwiches saved her life. <laughs> we are the solution to the healthcare crisis. And I just wanted you to think about this for a minute. How many people can I, as a naturopathic doctor, help? Okay? Because of the time considerations that I have, a dentist can only drill so many teeth. If I'm in a good year, I see four new people a day, five people a week, 46 weeks a year. I can treat 920 people and help 920 people in one year to get healthy as a licensed working naturopathic doctor. If I build a network and I enroll one person a month and they enroll one person a month and that goes on for a year, in one year I'm going to have 4,096 people in my network. Now which is better, 900 or 4,000? 4,000. This is how we're going to change the world and this is why Longevity exists. All the other companies that Longevity has bring in demographics to expose people to the product and protocols. All right? We are playing a big game here. It is our intention in our lifetime to alter the paradigm through which medicine is practiced in the United States. We want to pull medical doctors off the pedestal that we've put them on. We want to show everybody in the world the gorilla that's in the middle of the room. And the only way that we can possibly do this is by generating a huge grassroots support system. And how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by building a Longevity network business. That's why Longevity exists. That's why you folks are here. You can alter the way that medicine is practiced in the United States. Build your downline as rapidly as possible because people are dying and suffering needlessly and only we can help them. Thank you very much.